So, uh, as we continue our study of biblical theology and thinking about how the Bible fits together, I think it's helpful to look at this passage as we're in a new genre, so to speak. We're in the history of Israel. We're thinking about how all the Bible points to Jesus and how it all connects. And so this is a passage that we're probably familiar with. And when we think about this passage, there are certain things that come to mind. Uh, Jeremy, what is the point of David and Goliath? That's good. So David doesn't think he can beat Goliath. He throws the stone. He kills Goliath. Colton, what do you think? What's the, what's the point of David and Goliath? To always remember that God will be with you. That's what Colton says, the point of David and Goliath. Good answers. Good answers. Uh, I'm going to say those are not the point of the story, though. Uh, those are things we can learn and we should learn from the story, whether it's the facts of how it goes or things like that. But what do we usually think about when we think of Goliath and David and Goliath? Usually it's described as the greatest underdog story ever told, right? Uh, in fact, that's how I like to describe it as the, the, uh, the Old, Te- Old Testament version of Philippians 4.13. Remember Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, I kind of think David and Goliath is kind of the Old Testament version of that, because what do people do with Philippians 4.13? They write it on their shoes, they put it on their eye black, athletes, it's their favorite verse. I can go out and I can win this game, I can uh, conquer whatever I need to, because Jesus is with me and will give me the ability to do well on that test or get do well in my job or succeed in whatever I'm doing. That's generally, if you want to give it the pop culture understanding of Philippians 4.13, that's generally how people understand it, uh, which if you're familiar with Philippians 4.13 is not how we should understand that verse in context. So I think really David and Goliath is very similar to that. Generally, uh, especially in pop culture, you'll even hear it. It's a David and Goliath story. Uh, there have been movies made about facing your giants and things like this. Uh, and those are not necessarily bad things, but I think they're not hitting at the main point of what's going on here. Because when we read this story about David and Goliath, really the main reason that we shouldn't necessarily view it as us being the underdog, us being like David, and us being able to go out and defeat Goliath, really the reason that's not the main point is because it forgets about Jesus and how this passage points to Jesus. And so, uh, what I want to do is read through some of these verses, make some comments, and then think about really how this points to Jesus. So, this is 1 Samuel 17. And starting in verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, 
which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Demim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and the Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat of was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So in these verses we see Goliath is a giant. We get that description. We get the scene set very uh, well. I won't go into all the details about how big he was, how much his armor weighed, things like this. But the Israelites were afraid. They were dismayed. And we see that throughout the passage even. So if you go down, skipping a few verses, picking up in verse 19. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks, and the Philistines up out of the ranks of the Philistines, and spoke the same words as before, and David heard them, heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him and with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. So here we see David coming onto the scene, not as a soldier, but as a shepherd, coming to check on his brothers. We see again Israel is fleeing, they're hiding, they're cowering before Goliath. David hears Goliath, he hears the enemy of the people of God, and the enemy of God, he understands he's the enemy of not just the people, but the enemy of God. And he hears the reward. What is the reward? The reward is riches, the reward is a wife, a bride, 
and also no taxes, which is a great reward as well. Uh, verse 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, his eldest brother, heard when he had spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there was a lion or a bear, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So here David really faces uh, some naysayers, right? First his brother uh, questions his motives. King Saul questions his ability. You're not able to do this. Uh, and then even later we see Goliath questioning David's ability. Who is this that you're sending out against me? This boy, right? Uh, and so David is spoken against in these chapters, but he still asserts his, his faith in the Lord and his confidence that the Lord will deliver Goliath. Verse 38, Then Saul clothed David with his armor, he put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And so really... The point of these few verses is that David is not like Saul, right? He puts on the armor of Saul, and that's clearly not him. It doesn't work. Uh, he's not the conquering warrior like Saul is. He's not the king like Saul is. Uh, and there's lots of, I mean, there's lots of connections we can see with that. Uh, even in the fact that King Saul is not going out to fight this battle. Uh, but David is going out, right? King Saul was rejected by God just a chapter earlier in chapter 16. Uh, and now he's not taking care of his people. He's not protecting his people. Now it's David, the anointed one, who was anointed in that chapter as well, in chapter 16. He's the one going out to fight this battle. And so we see they don't fight the same way. They don't have the same character. Again, David's confident in the Lord. Saul is very much not confident at this point. 
And we see that really David is this somewhat unexpected deliverer. He's not who the people would have picked out to send out. Uh, in fact, they thought they had no one eligible to go out and fight Goliath. And so he's not the stereotypical strong warrior. He's the shepherd boy who believes in God. And that's different than Saul. And to finish it out, verse 41, we see this. The, the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistines looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone stank, sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sha'arim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his armor in his tent. And so David kills Goliath. Uh, he cuts off his head with his own sword, with Goliath's own sword. And now, instead of the Israelites cowering in fear, now they are conquering the enemy. They have... Uh, chase them and pursue them and overcome them. They have plundered them and received the spoils of the battle. And so this is really this, the summary. I mean, we've read it. We've kind of talked about it a little bit. This is David and Goliath. And really, I pointed those things out to show that this passage is just dripping with Jesus because all of these things really connect us and point us forward to Jesus. That this passage is more than just a motivational message to overcome giants in our life. Because this passage really shows us that Jesus is that conquering king who defeats the enemy. Uh, before we apply this passage to ourselves, in other words... Before we take it and say, I need to be like David, 
really what we need to do is we need to take this passage and, and see how it points to Jesus. That's the first step in understanding it rightly. Because this passage shows us that really David is pointing us to Jesus. Jesus is the greater David, the greater deliverer. And so that's generally a good principle in anything in the Old Testament. Before applying it to ourselves, we need to see how it connects to Jesus. So what do we see? How, how are these connections? Let me just make them very plain and clear. No one is able to overcome the enemy. Uh, all the people are cowering. It seems like the enemy has the upper hand. And then David comes onto the scene. And just like David, Jesus comes onto the scene and he is able to overcome the enemy. People oppose Jesus. They question his character. They check, question his motives. They question what he's doing, just like we see with David here. They speak against him. Jesus is the unexpected deliverer. He doesn't fit the uh, description of what people would usually think at think of. I mean, even in riding into Jerusalem, what did Jesus do? He didn't ride in on a horse as the conquering king. He rode in on a donkey. He doesn't fit the mold of what people would expect of a deliverer. David was the anointed king at this point in 1 Samuel. Even though he hasn't taken the throne yet, he was anointed as the king. And it's the same thing with Jesus. Jesus was the anointed one of God. That's, that's literally what Messiah means. It means he's anointed, the anointed one. And so that, that really is the number one reason that should set off bells in our head. Hey, David is pointing us to Jesus because he's the anointed king who is the deliverer. Uh, that should be reason number one. We should connect Jesus and David and see how this points to Jesus. You could also look at the fact that David cuts off Goliath's head. Uh, we Really, this is a pattern we've seen throughout the Old Testament, not just here, but you remember the promise way back in Genesis that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. We see that pattern playing out throughout the Bible and repeated. Here we see David, the seed of the woman, so to speak, overcoming the seed of the enemy, seed of the serpent. It would be hard to argue Goliath is not a seed of the serpent, an enemy of God. And here David is cutting off his head. Well, that points us forward to how Jesus, the ultimate seed of the woman, is now defeating and crushing Satan and puts his feet on the head of his enemies. And so we see this happening, that Jesus is the one that conquers the enemy. He's the only one who is able to conquer and what happens when Jesus conquers? This is fascinating too, right? When David conquers, the people who are cowering are now made overcomers and they're able to have victory over the enemy and plunder the goods and pursue them and win, right? When we, now that Jesus has overcome the enemy and we are his people, we're no longer under captivity to sin and evil, but now we actually have victory over those things. Jesus has broken the reign of sin and evil and the devil and now we are made overcomers we are what does jesus say the the gates of hell will not prevail against you we can overcome because jesus has conquered and so we see that in our lives as we overcome sin and evil
And so we can also think about uh, not just that, but uh, you can think about the promise. I think it's fascinating. Why is it that it includes this detail about what David's going to get? It says he's going to get riches and he's going to get a wife if he wins this battle. Uh, that's fascinating. Because what is it that Jesus receives as he conquers on the cross? Well, he receives, we've read it in Ephesians, and we'll read it later in Ephesians. He receives the riches of the inheritance, right? We even read in Hebrews how uh, he was looking forward to the glory that was set before him, right? The, the richness of that. But he also receives a bride, right? He receives, he goes and he dies and he redeems, he wins for himself the church, his people, right? And so there are so many ways that this passage is really preparing us for Jesus, getting us to think in a certain way about what it looks like for the anointed one of God to be the king who is conquering the enemy and is ruling like the king is supposed to. And we see that pattern playing out. And frankly, all of that doesn't even take into consideration the fact that David uh, was sitting on the throne and God made a promise to him about his son sitting on the throne and how Jesus fulfills that. We haven't even mentioned that. That's another point between David and Jesus. But just in this passage, we see all those points of connection. And so we, we get this pattern, really, of how we see what a conquering king looks like. And that pattern keeps showing up throughout the Bible. We, we get glimpses of it. And then when we get to Jesus, we see, oh, this is it. David wasn't perfectly that conquering king, right? We see the errors in David's life, that he wasn't the, the perfect one who was going to completely conquer the enemy. But it was his, his offspring, as God promised him. And then we get to Jesus and we see, yes, he is the conquering king like this. And he is the perfect archetype, so to speak, of this pattern, of this type, of this shadow that we see in the Old Testament. And so this passage really just drips with Jesus. And once we see that, then we see how all of the Bible really is pointing towards Jesus. Then, then we ask the question, what does this passage mean for us? Because this passage does mean something for us. It's not just pointing to Jesus, although it is doing that. And if we miss that, we miss the point of the passage. But what does this mean for us? It's not wrong to look at this passage and see David as a great example of faith. Uh, we read in 1 Corinthians that the things written in the Old Testament are written for our example. And so we should see that example, this example of David who is staying true to the Lord and willing to follow him no matter what the opposition is, no matter how uh, unlikely it seems that he will overcome. And it's an example to us. But we just have to make sure that we're applying it in the right way and we're not saying something that this passage doesn't say. right? David defeating Goliath doesn't mean that if we just have enough faith, will be over, able to overcome anything in our life. Uh, just like Philippians 4.13, that's not what that means, right? It's not a guarantee that we'll 
win a sports game or will finally get a breakthrough in life or have a good diagnosis. Uh, that's not what this passage is teaching us, even though it gives us an example of faith. Really, the main thing it's teaching us is the pattern of David pointing us to Jesus. And we remember, if, that is, if that's what David is representing, really, David is like Jesus in this passage. It reminds us that we're probably not like David in this passage. If David's pointing us to Jesus, uh, we're probably not that much like David. We're probably more like the Israelites in this passage. Uh, as much as we would like to identify with David, uh, and as much as the Lord does give us faith and strength, really we're more like the Israelites. We're just unable to overcome the enemy. Without Jesus, without Jesus conquering the enemy and defeating sin and Satan and taking us out of the power of sin, we have no ability to beat the enemy. Uh, we are like the Israelites. Our best, our best approach to the enemy is just hiding and hoping nothing bad happens because we, we literally do not have the power to free ourselves to overcome sin and Satan unless Jesus comes in and defeats the enemy. And that's what he does. And now that he has done that, we are reminded that we share in the spoils of that victory, that there is real victory that we have now, that Jesus has defeated the giant, so to speak, of sin and Satan and evil. Now we actually can have real victory over sin in our life. We actually can have real uh, spiritual blessing in our life, uh, the, the plunder, so to speak, because Jesus has done this. He has, he has overcome. And because he has overcome, we know that the enemy has been defeated, and we also can experience this victory over the enemy in our life as well. And so when we take that to things like uh, sharing the gospel, right? Jesus sends us out into the world, go and make disciples. Uh, and he tells us the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against you. We have confidence that, hey, the Lord is actually going to do something as we obey his command because he has all authority. He's already defeated the ruler of this world. The world's not under, uh, the world is, is, belongs to Jesus by right. So he sends us out, go and make disciples, right? Even though Satan still exists and is still dangerous, we know that we, as long as we are following the Lord, uh, we are in his will. And that, is a, uh, that gives us confidence, right? We know that when it comes to sin in our life, not just sharing the gospel with others, but when it comes to those sins in our life that, we, uh, that cling to us, that we have to overcome, that we struggle with, we remember that it is possible to overcome those things, that we're not just bound to have to live with those things the rest of our life. God does give deliverance and victory over those things. And so as we, as we think about this, that's really, that's really just a summary. There are probably more things we could say, but the point is this, is, this is a passage. Sometimes we think about this passage and we look at it or we hear it in pop culture or other places, and we, we just hear it as a motivational message. Hey, if you are trusting in the Lord and following the Lord, you'll be able to overcome anything in your life. But really, this is reminding us more that 
I need someone like David in my life to overcome and to defeat the enemy, to defeat this giant, so to speak. And the good news is that I do have a David in my life. It's Jesus, and he has overcome the enemy. And so that kind of changes how we think about this passage. It's subtle, but it's important, and it points us to Jesus and all the goodness that he does. So let's pray as we wrap up this morning and as we eat together. Father God, we are thankful for today. We're thankful for your word. I pray that we will continue to grow in our understanding of your word, that we will uh, remember how it's all about you and it points to you, and that as we see these great examples uh, in the Bible, that we will be reminded of uh, not just David as the conquering king, but as you who have conquered the enemy and how good that is for us, your people. Lord, we're thankful for that. Continue to teach us more and more about your word. And I pray that you'll bless this fellowship this morning as we eat together, that we will be strengthened to serve you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.